You know, this parable that was spoken by Jesus, um, first of all, was not spoken for your benefit. This parable that was spoken to Jesus, first of all, was not spoken to the Western mind or the Western people that meet here in, in Golding's Church because we are told why this parable was spoken. And we, we have it here. It says um, in verse 19, the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. This parable was aimed at the people that Jesus was speaking to. So it wasn't about us. It's not about us first and foremostly. So often we look at the Bible and we say, it's about me. You know, where can I get something out of this? It's not about us first and foremostly. He was speaking to the Jews that surrounded him. But as we go through this parable, there is things that we can take for ourselves. So the first thing that I want to say about this parable, I want to speak to you about a God of persistence. A God of persistence. Let's read, let's remind ourselves of the first part of this parable. Here it goes. He went on to tell this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent servants to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Now, Jesus is speaking about... The Old Testament. You see, God is the one who plants. What does he plant? He plants a nation. That nation that he plants was the Jewish nation. He planted them. He called them out from... from, It started with Abraham when he called Abraham out. We, We understand that when they were in Egypt, he brought them out through Moses and they were going to be his people. They were going to be a people that will produce fruit of righteousness. They were going to be God's witnesses on the earth. That was the reason why God chose them and and, and called them out. He wanted them to be his witnesses. Bearing fruit, doing good on the earth. Now are you with me so far? Are you with me so far? Are you with me, right? Okay, I'm making sure you're, I'm carrying you here with me. But that's, that's what God has done. He's, he's called his people for that reason. And the parable goes on that at harvest time, the man, God, sends servants. And he sends them to collect fruit. In other words, he sends them to collect fruits of righteousness from them. He wanted to see that they are being true witnesses. He wanted to see that they are representing him on the earth as they ought to. So he sends servants. But we read that one gets beaten up, another one gets treated shamefully, and still yet another one gets chucked out and thrown out of the vineyard. Now this is the Old 
Testament history of what happened. Speak to any Jewish person, they will tell you that in the Old Testament, men like Elijah and Elisha, men like Nehemiah and Isaiah and Jeremiah, these men came to Jerusalem, they came to God's people time and time again, and God's people rejected them. God's people threw them out. God's people even killed some of them. And these were the ones that God was sending his servants, his word, again and again and again. And his people were rejecting them and throwing them out. You see, God was persistent. God was persistent. Now, the lesson that I wanted to, to, to get from here is that our God is gracious, merciful, and patient. He knows your heart. He knows my heart as well. He knows your heart. He knows that your heart is is hardened against him. Sometimes it seems that there's so much noise going on around us, we can't hear his voice. Some of us got our fingers in our ear because we don't want to hear his voice. And yet God is so merciful and God is so patient that he sends his word to us again and again and again and again, even though our hearts can be so hard at times. You know, there's a story in Brazil of a mother and daughter. Now, the daughter wanted to leave the mom and she wanted to go into the big city. And the, daughter, and the mother said to the daughter, no, I don't want you to go. It's dangerous out in the big city. But the daughter, in the middle of the night, just got up, packed her things. And when the mom woke up in the morning, went into the room, the daughter was gone. She went to the big city. The mother was distraught. So the mother went to a photographer and had a hundred or so photographs taken of herself. And at the back, she wrote something at the back of all the photographs. And then she went to the city where her daughter was. So you know where she went, what area she went, but she went to the city. And through the city, she pinned up pictures of herself. All the pictures she's taken of herself, she pinned them up all around the city. Years went by. One day the daughter who was sleeping in a B&B somewhere got up, went downstairs, went out of the reception and there was a picture of her mum on the wall. It's my mum. She pulled the picture off of the the wall and look at the back of it and it says, I don't care what you have done. Come home. I love you. That turned that young girl's life around. She went home. I want to tell you, God has that persistence of love for you this morning. God has that persistence. He will chase you down because he loves you. He will run after you because he loves you. He will watch over your life because he loves you. The love of God is so persistent. He will hound you until you will say enough. Why? Because he loves so much. That is the God that we worship. You can't 
to Allah. Don't compare him to Hare Krishna. Don't compare him to any of these false gods who are not gods at all. There's only one Lord. And he has a love for you that is so persistent that will dog you and follow you even into your very dying day. He has that love for you. And we see here the persistence of God. He, he sends his word and the men who received the servants beat them and killed them and mistreated them, but he continued to sin. That is the love that our God has. When I was in Sunday school, yes, I was a student in Sunday school, a teaching Sunday school, but I was there in Sunday school, a little boy, 12 years old or something. And we just sing that wonderful song, the love of Jesus is so so high. So wide, you can't get round it. So low, you can't get under it. The love of Jesus Christ. I think we stopped singing that song, you know. And it's our shame that we've forgotten that the love of Christ will chase you down. And you say to me, but I'm a sinner, Jerry. You don't know what I've done. I have done things that no one else knows. The love of God will chase you down. You would say, oh, my heart is so hard. I've heard the word so many times. How can God receive me now? His love will chase you down. The love of God is so amazing. He's persistent. So God is a God of persistence. I also want you to hear this morning, oh, let me be the first. God put me further on. God of action. Yeah, the God of action. So listen, let's go back to the parable. Okay, at the parable, how many people get rejected? Well, we read three people get rejected. Three servants get rejected. And so the man in the parable who we now identified as God, the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. Now, Jesus seems to want to root his parable in the Old Testament. And so, there was another man in the Old Testament who had a son whom he really loved. That was Abraham. And God spoke to Abraham, and God said to Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. And so, in the parable now, the owner of the vineyard is saying that, you know, they've rejected my servants. I've got my son and I love him. They're going to respect him. Surely they're going to respect him because he belongs to me. I'm going to send him instead. But in the parable, Jesus tells what happens to the son. But when the tenants saw him, they took the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now you need to understand that Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's very important. Jesus is in Jerusalem at this time. Only a few more days, 
Only a few more weeks, then he will be arrested. Only a few more hours, and he will be praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Only a few moments, the cross is looming. He is in Jerusalem. And he knows that he is the son of the living God. He's been preaching it for three years. He's been showing it by signs and wonders that he is the son of the living God. And even when he was baptized, we read this, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. He was indeed Declared to be the Son of God, who was loved by God. And it was this one that the Jews wanted to kill. So here we have it. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. In fact, Jesus was preaching speaking this parable to the very people who wanted him dead. And the parable presents the men in this story, the men in this parable are cruel men. They are wicked men. They are evil men. They are heartless men. They were given the vineyard. They didn't build it. They didn't work for it. It was given to them. And yet in their cruelty and wickedness, they killed the son of the man who gave it to them. So Jesus ends the parable, he finishes the parable with a judgment and a blessing. He ends the parable with a judgment and a blessing. So what, let's look at both of them. What then shall the owner of the vineyard do to these men, these wicked, heartless men? And come and kill those tenants and give the vineyards to others. A judgment and a blessing. Let's go to judgment first. In other words, the Jews who killed Jesus would face the fierce judgment and wrath of God. It is God who will come. That's what he says. The owner will come and he will kill those tenants. It is God who will come. It is God who will judge. It is God who will finally execute judgment on these men who rejected his son. Now can I make an application here? You know, it seems that many people in our day seem to be afraid of the devil. So many people seem to be afraid of the devil. The Bible never tells us to be afraid of the devil, you know. But many people are afraid of spirits and the devil. I had a phone call about seven years ago. A man who found my number on the yellow pages or something. We don't have yellow pages so much now, but, you know, 
one of these things. And he rings me up and says to me, he's in Romford somewhere, he says to me, I've got spirits in my house. You're a Christian evangelist church, can you come, he says to me. And he was scared out of his wits. He's far more frightened of the devil than anything else. You may have seen it yourself on our London buses. There's a new series coming out. I don't know much about TV, but this series is uh, called Lucifer. And there's a picture of this man's face, dark-haired man, and he's got red eyes staring out at the bus. Quite a good-looking guy, but with red evil eyes. And it's called Lucifer. And what he's saying is that you don't want to mess with the devil. You want to mess with evil spirits. And we live in a day and age when everyone is frightened and scared of spirits and the devil. But the Bible never tells you that. This is what the Bible tells you who you should be really afraid of. Jesus is speaking. But I will show you whom you should fear. I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. The person that you should fear is not the devil. He has no power. He has no authority over you. The person that you should fear is God himself. That's the person that Jesus said you should fear because he is far greater, far more uh, wonderful, far more authoritative than any other being. And he has the power that after he has said to you, your life is going to end. And God will say that. The devil won't say that. God will say that. Your life is going to end. And I have the power to bring you into eternal life or to cast you into eternal damnation. Now, who would you fear? The devil who rattles a few chains? The devil who wants to try to turn over a few things in your house so you get a little bit, ooh. Who should you fear? Jesus tells you, fear him. But after the body is killed and dies and God says I know your days I have numbered your days I know when I'm going to call you home but after when I called you home into my bar I have the power to call you into glory or to throw you in hell fear him that is a judgment that is the that's the judgment side, but also a blessing as well. So the judgment was this. In the parable, the judgment is the owner of the vineyard will come and in judgment he will kill those evil tenants. But it's a blessing as well. This is the blessing. He will come and kill those tenants. That's the first judgment. And give the vineyard to others. Now, to understand this, we need to go to 1 John. And 1 John, John 1, sorry, says this. 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That was the Jewish people. He came to the Jewish nation. He came to the Jewish men and women. And when he came, they did not receive him. But praise God, one day the Bible says, the Jewish men, the Jewish women, one day they will come. In a time ahead of us, he will call them. And even now, there are Jews coming to faith in Christ. Praise be to God. But the Bible says, he came to his own. And they did not receive him. But, I love this, yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Listen, he gave them the right to become not tenants, not servants, not slaves, not those who just want to look after the land for a little while. No, no, no. He gave them the right to become children. Praise be to God. Sons and daughters. People belonging to his family. He adopts them. You say to me, come on, Jay, what do you mean? I'm a rebel. I'm a, I'm a sinful woman. I'm a sinful. What do you mean that God calls me his child? He adopts you into his family. And says to you, you're no longer a servant. You're not even a slave. I'm not even going to call you a tenant. I'm going to call you my son. I'm going to call you my daughter. You belong in my family. Now, I haven't prepared this, but in the light of God saying, I will come to kill those who reject me. The thing that God will say, I come to give you an inheritance in a family. Who in their right mind will say, I don't want it? Who in their right mind will say, I'd much rather be a rebellious tenant than be a child of God? Who in their right mind? Sadly, we come to my third point because Jesus ends my the message here now I'm going to wrap it up a God of strength because we need to conclude this message by looking at Jesus' last words in this, in this parable so Jesus looked directly at them and said and asked then what is the meaning of that which is written the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone you know, um, I'm, I'm not a builder, you know, I can hardly build Lego pieces together, uh, let alone bricks and mortar, but I understand that a foundation needs to, a, a building needs to have good foundation, and it needs to have a cornerstone. Everything needs to be, um, um, have the right angled and, and be pointed and, and, and be laid in such a way that the building grows up and be strong. And here, Jesus is saying that I am the cornerstone. I'm the one that can give your life foundation. I'm the one that if you build your life upon me, if you build your life upon this rock, then whatever hits your life, whatever storms may come your way, your house, your life will remain firm. Why? Because it's built upon 
of me, the rock, the cornerstone. That's what he's saying. But sadly, this main stone, this main foundation has been rejected. So he says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is, Jesus has been rejected by men. And so the parable which is first spoken to the Jews of Jesus' day, they have rejected him. And when they rejected Jesus, instead of building your house upon the rock where your life becomes strong and whatever storm comes against you, you're able to stand there um, with Christ, on Christ. The other alternative, there's two other alternatives and both of them are bad. Look at them. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. There's two other alternatives. You either build your life upon the rock that is Christ, the cornerstone. You build your life on him. And whatever storms come against your life, you will have a life that stands. That is the first option. The second and third option is that the stone that you reject will fall down on you and crush you completely. That's not a very pleasant message. But that's what Jesus is saying. The stone the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. And that stone whom you fall on will be broken to pieces. And also that stone, if it falls on you. When I was growing up in church, we used to sing some old hymns. We don't sing much. We sang a few today, which is lovely. We don't sing many old hymns, but there was one old hymn that I used to sing as a youngster. And it was this one. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I just sing that old song. I see some of the ladies here with the hats on and other things. I say, yeah, man, I, I know that song. You young people say, what are you talking about? Is that? On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Why? Because I'd rather stand on that rock. I'd rather build my life on that rock instead of having that rock fall on me. Because I reject. So the question this morning, as I close my message this morning, where are you standing this morning? That's my question to you. Yes, this parable was directed to the Jews at first. But God is now, is not looking for tenants anymore. He's not looking for servants anymore. He's not looking for slaves. He's looking for sons. He's looking for daughters who will stand on this cornerstone and build a life on him. The Jews rejected Jesus in a few weeks' time. In this story, Luke, he was crucified and nailed to a cross. He died. But the only reason why he died 
might have life. And the only reason why he died is to show his extent, the extent of his love for you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to chase you down and I'm going to love you. How do you love me, Lord? I love you. Just look at the cross and you see me there bleeding and dying because I love you. I'm going to chase you down until you put your hands up and say, surrender, Lord. Take me just as I am. I surrender. May you in your heart today surrender to a loving God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father.